2 Corinthians chapter 4, tonight we will be in verses 1 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we come to you tonight in different spiritual places, with different burdens on our hearts, with different joys on our hearts. And we pray, Father, that tonight you would speak to us, that you would minister by the power of the Holy Spirit, your word. I pray, Father, wherever people are tonight in this room, I pray that you would supernaturally, by the power of your Spirit, meet every need in this room by your powerful word. And I pray that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Henry J. Rogers was a businessman living in the late 19th century. He made his money in the paper industry and was attracted to a little town called Appleton, Wisconsin. Rogers, being the entrepreneur that he was, he had heard that across the country in New Jersey, there was a young man by the name of Thomas Alva Edison. Edison had just built an electric power plant that could light up whole city blocks the first electric lights in the country. And Rogers was interested, very interested indeed. He was building a huge Victorian home overlooking the Fox River there in Little Appleton, Wisconsin. And he had a big idea. What if my new home could be powered by electricity? Uh, What if I could let there be light? Electric light in my home in little Appleton, Wisconsin. And so after a few months, with some funding from his friends and the help of contractors and electrician, uh, electricians from Chicago, the hydroelectric plant was built. And on September 30th, 1882, for the first time in American history, in a small Wisconsin town, a private home for the very first time in the dark of night 
was entirely lit by electric light. A local newspaper boasted that Roger's house was bright as day. And going on, the newspaper had a big prophecy. It said this, electric light may entirely supersede the use of gas as an illuminator in our city, but that remains to be seen hereafter. (laughs) Hereafter happened. Not just in little Appleton, Wisconsin, but across the nation. And today, certainly, we see all the time by electric light. We can see in this room tonight by electric light. It's hard to imagine of a time, a world without electricity. We often take that light for granted. The fact that we can turn on bright lights with the simple switch is nothing short of amazing. What about spiritual light? What generates spiritual light? We can often take spiritual light for granted. What is the source of spiritual light? Where can we go in a spiritually dark world for eye-opening, bright-as-day light? Well, Paul wants to show us this evening that true spiritual light does not originate in the mind of man. True spiritual light is not manufactured or generated in this world of ours. No. Spiritual light comes from God. Spiritual light is shown in God's word when the gospel is proclaimed and genuine gospel ministry shines God's light. That's the sermon in a sentence. Genuine gospel ministry shines God's light. As we've been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians, if you haven't been with us, Paul has been defending and commending his apostolic gospel ministry. Super apostles in the Corinthian church have been seeking to discredit Paul's gospel because he was, quote, unskilled in speaking, because he was, quote, weak, he was unreliable, He had no letters of recommendation. He was insufficient. And apparently to them, his ministry was ineffective. And so Paul has been seeking to win the Corinthians, not just to himself, but to the true, genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. Despite these efforts of the super apostles, Paul has reaffirmed his steadfastness in God. Chapter 3, verse 4, he said, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, we are very bold. And tonight, Paul says, verse 1, we don't lose heart. We won't give up. I want us to see tonight that Paul is using this theme of light to teach us what genuine gospel ministry is and what genuine gospel ministry does. Previously, Paul used the image and theme of glory. He used the image of a veil. He will go on to use the image of a treasure, of a tent, of a temple, all to give us powerful pictures of what the new covenant of what the genuine gospel is and how we should respond as a result. Genuine 
gospel ministry shines God's light. And tonight, Paul is going to explain to us in three sections how this should shape and motivate our proclamation of the gospel. First, if genuine gospel ministry shines God's light, then teach in the light. Teach in the light. Paul is addressing how we should proclaim the gospel. You can see this in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says that in light of the greater glory of the gospel, in light pun intended, in light of the unveiling of our hearts to the greatness of Jesus, in light of the freedom and mercy of God that we have in the gospel, since we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. This phrase, we don't lose heart, isn't so much being emotionally discouraged. It has more the force of we don't give up. We aren't timid. We aren't cowardly. We persevere because we have this amazing, light-bringing, veil-lifting ministry. We don't give up. We continue. We teach in the light. Our perseverance in proclaiming the gospel is directly connected to our perception of the power of the gospel. I'll say that again. Our perseverance in proclaiming the gospel is directly connected to our perception of the power of the gospel. Paul wants us to make the connection between our confidence, our boldness, our perseverance, and our understanding of the gospel's power and glory. Do you sometimes feel like giving up on sharing the gospel with a friend, sharing the gospel with a neighbor? sharing the gospel with a family member. You feel like, I'm just not getting anywhere with them. Nothing's happening. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the powerful light of God. And so Paul can say, with confidence, we don't give up. Christians, don't give up. Don't lose heart. We have a great and glorious message to proclaim. And then Paul continues on with how he preaches the gospel, giving these three phrases of what he rejects, how he teaches in the light. First, you can see it there in your Bibles, he renounces disgraceful, underhanded ways. This refers to doing things in a hidden way. Paul does not say things in private that would be shameful to be said in public. Paul doesn't preach the gospel under the cover of night, hiding important truths. He's not sneaky. No, Paul teaches in the light. Next phrase, Paul refuses to practice cunning. Literally, he refuses to walk in deception. Uh, Paul doesn't bait and switch people. Maybe you've experienced this in your normal life. You Sign up for a phone plan at an advertised price, and then you go to check out, and there's all these hidden fees, and there's all these 
extra charges. I didn't sign up for that. You go buy a washer and a dryer uh, that you saw in an ad, but you forget to read the fine print. Ma'am, that deal is only for these appliances. Paul didn't promote a fine print Christianity, a bait-and-switch Christianity, an introductory offer Christianity. Paul taught in the light. His preaching of the gospel had integrity. Paul didn't emotionally manipulate people. I remember a time in high school when I went to a youth group with youth groups from other churches There were maybe a few hundred students there, and and there was a worship team, and a preacher spoke, and I remember the message actually being really good. And then they dimmed the lights at the end, and they had this moment. Maybe you've experienced this before. At the end of the message, the the preacher said, every every head bowed, uh, every eye closed. Who wants to give their life to Jesus? And then the preacher continued to give this sinner's prayer. And then every, every eye closed, every head bowed, who decided to give their life to Jesus tonight? I see that hand. I see you in the back. I see you in the front. I see that hand. You know, as a sophomore in high school, you know, I was, I was not inclined to follow the rules, um, even at church. And so I was a little rebellious and I was a little curious, so I peeked. I, I was a prayer peeker. Um, <laughs> And I looked up as he was saying, I see that hand. I looked at him and I looked around and no one's hand was up. So, you know, I thought to myself, well, maybe I just missed it. Maybe, maybe just someone put their hand right as he said, I see that hand. And so I looked up again and I looked up at the preacher and he said, yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand in the back. I see that hand. And no one had their hand raised. And I remember looking back down at the floor, and I couldn't believe it. I I, I wasn't mad. I was a little confused, but mainly I was troubled. Uh, Something didn't sit right. Here this guy was preaching the gospel of light and fabricating salvations. And as I was thinking about this this week, I asked the question, Why would anyone do that? Why would any Christian feel the need to do that unless they had a man-sized view of the gospel? Unless they thought that salvation was ultimately up to their control, in their control, up to them, based on their preaching ability, that there was a pressure on that preacher to make people Christians. Genuine gospel ministry shines God's light. He does the work of salvation. And therefore, as we share the gospel, all of us, the way that we share the gospel matters. If genuine gospel ministry shines God's light, the way we share that light should be consistent with the light of the gospel, spoken with integrity, clearly, not manipulating people. And Paul moves to his last phrase, perhaps the worst of these. Paul says, we refuse to do any tampering with God's word, distorting God's word, changing 
God's word, watering down the message to meet the moment. Uh, Traditional biblical sexuality, people aren't really going to like that. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, Paul didn't really mean that back then. Uh, Hell, well, well, that's not really going to fly. Self-sacrifice, self-promotion sounds better to me. And little by little, little gospel compromises lead to big gospel failures. We have a dimmer um, in our living room. Uh, instead of a light switch, you know, on and off, it's a little dial. And you know how these things work. You, you move it just a little bit and the light gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until you're in complete darkness. When we distort the word of God... We are dimming the light of the gospel. Paul refused to do that. Will we, as a church, refuse to do that? Will you be unashamed of the word of God, of the message of the gospel, because it is God's light unto salvation for all who believe? I was listening to John Piper a few years back discussing his vision for Desiring God, Piper's ministry, and he said this, we aim that Desiring God will be among the first ministries that people think of all over the world when they are asked the question, where can I go for resources that never apologize for any teaching in the Bible? That's unashamed of any teaching taught in God's word, refusing to distort anything that is taught in the word of God. That's what Paul's example calls us to. That's what I want to be as a man of God, unashamed of anything that's taught in God's holy word. I want to be like Paul who does not tamper with passages that are difficult for me to believe but instead trusting the word of God to do the work of God. That's what Paul doesn't do. He refuses to do those things. The end of verse two, instead, here's what Paul does. You can see it in your Bible. But by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul had nothing to hide. Paul clearly, in the open, In broad daylight, over weeks and months, he explained, he proclaimed, and persevered in sharing the gospel. Paul knew that all of his life and ministry was in the sight of God. Paul knew that the gospel was light, pure light, God's means to salvation, and so he didn't block the light. He didn't dim the light. He didn't hide the light. He taught in the light with open statements. And so should we. The manner in which we share the gospel matters. How openly do you share the light of the gospel? How openly? It's the word of truth. Open statements of the truth. And our world is confused about truth. Our world doesn't know what is true. 
And so we have the opportunity by open statements of what the Bible teaches. This is what God's word says as clearly as we can. So following Paul's example, we are not manipulating people emotionally. We are not coercing people relationally. But we are proclaiming the gospel openly. Genuine gospel ministry teaches in the light. But there's a problem. Well, Paul, if your gospel is light, if it's so clear, if your statements of truth are so open, then why doesn't everyone believe? This was likely the objection by the super apostles. They were using this objection to discredit not just Paul's ministry, but Paul's message. They were saying something like, Paul, your ministry is not the powerful light of God because not everyone believes. So Paul here gives the reason why not everyone believes. He says, we're in a spiritual battle that Satan blinds unbelievers' minds from seeing the light of the gospel. And we should expect the enemy of light. Second point, we should expect the enemy of light. He tells us this in verse three and, verses 3 and 4. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul explains that not all people will become Christians. Not all people will see the light. Why? Because Satan prevents people from seeing it. And Paul isn't saying that Satan is somehow divine. He's saying that in this fallen world, Satan has some dominion and some power. He's the God of this fallen world. And Satan hates the light of the gospel. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. And as Christians... We should expect that. You remember the parable of the sower. The seed of the gospel message, the word is scattered. And Luke 8 tells us Satan snatches the seed of the word from some hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is at work against the gospel to blind the minds of those who do not believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe that at the root of someone's unbelief is not just lack of understanding? It's not just personal stubbornness. It's not just acceptance of another religion, although those things may be true, but that at the root of someone's unbelief is Satan, blinding. That there are evil powers at work that we cannot see. Do you believe that? We live in the scientific age where reality must be measurable and verifiable. Seeing is believing in our world today. And we can be tempted to forget that there are spiritual forces at work that we cannot see. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians of this truth so that they should expect it. 
that they should not doubt the powerful light of the gospel message when people don't believe. Pastor Dan put it this way last week, so helpful. The problem is not with the preaching. The problem's with the people. And the problem of the people is spiritual blindness. Maybe you're here tonight and the gospel hasn't clicked for you yet. And the truth of this passage is strong here, maybe even offensive. I don't think anyone would happily admit I'm under the influence of Satan. Uh, Hello, my name is Richard. I've been attending college church for a few weeks, and I'm under the influence of Satan. But I want you to see that, that the problem for you isn't just that you're under Satan, but that the problem is blindness. Blindness from what? From seeing, verse 4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is the image of God. We were made in God's image. Jesus is the image of God. And when we look at Jesus, we see God. There's a reason why God prohibited Israel in the Ten Commandments from making an image of him. Why? Because God makes his own image. He makes his own image in the person of his son. No one can see God, but when you hear about Jesus in the Bible, you do see God. You don't have to be blind tonight. Maybe tonight is the night where you see Jesus for who he truly is. That Jesus is the son of God who came from heaven to bring the light of God's goodness and grace to earth. You don't have to be blind tonight. Jesus died to destroy our darkness of sin and was raised to bring new life and light to all who trust in him. You don't have to be blind tonight. There is access for you to see this very evening. Your blindness can be cured. There's a young man by the name of Mr. Beast. Who's familiar with Mr. Beast? Okay, a handful. I'll explain. Um, He's 25 years old, which is insane to me. uh, And he makes videos on YouTube. Now, YouTube, you know, is the, the second most visited website after Google. So on the second most visited website in the world... He is the most subscribed to individual on YouTube. He's got like over 200 million million subscriptions. Uh, He's got a huge audience. And in his videos, he does some weird things, some silly things. Uh, But in a lot of his videos, he does good works for people. He does kind things for people. So he gives people cars. He, He builds wells in poor countries. In one of his videos... He pays for a thousand blind people to receive their sight. If you watch the video, apparently 50% of all blindness in the world can be cured with a simple cataract surgery. So Mr. Beast pays for a thousand people who are legally blind to have that surgery so that they can see. And it's a powerful video. People are obviously very emotional when they see clearly, sometimes for the first time. And the surgeon in the video says something very interesting. He says, half of all blindness in the world is people who need a 10-minute surgery. The problem, he says, is not so much blindness. The problem 
is access. If you're here tonight, blinded by your own sin, blinded by Satan's power, you have access. God has given his son, proclaimed in the gospel as a way to heal you of your spiritual blindness and give you sight. Satan might have power for a time, but Jesus has power for all time to heal us of our spiritual blindness. Let me go a step further. You might be misled by Satan, but you're not a victim. Uh, It's not just that people are blind victims of Satan. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that though light has come into the world, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In our sin, we live in the darkness and we love the darkness. But you don't have to live in darkness anymore. God offers to you this evening the opportunity to know Jesus and to live in his light. We should not doubt the power of the light when people don't believe the gospel. We should expect the enemy of the light and keep praying, keep preaching to Keep encouraging, keep inviting unbelievers in our lives. We, could, we should continue sharing the gospel with them. That's what, that's what Paul ends this passage saying. If genuine gospel ministry shines God's light, well, then we need to shine the light. It's the third point. We need to shine the light. Paul says in verse 5 and 6, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul explains the subject matter of genuine gospel ministry. Proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We are tempted to rally around a preacher's personality. We are tempted to testify to our own goodness and Christian prowess in following Jesus. But the apostles did not proclaim themselves. They proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and them as servants for his sake. The gospel is not fundamentally about us as the light of the world. We are the light of the world. But the gospel is fundamentally about Jesus as the light of the world, shining through us. Jesus is the light, the content, the subject matter of our gospel proclamation. We preach him. You know, it's not hard, uh, it's hard not to think of the man who is writing these words uh, and think of his own personal experience Paul, he was on the road to Damascus to kill Christians. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. Uh, And falling on the ground, a voice said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And after that encounter, Paul was blinded actually blinded 
But after a few days, he regained his sight, was filled with the Holy Spirit, was baptized, and went to proclaim the very gospel that he persecuted. So Paul is saying from personal experience that that is exactly what happens when someone believes the gospel. When someone understands the lordship of Jesus over their entire life, when a person beholds the light of the gospel, God removes their spiritual blindness and they see. And for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, Paul says that, verse 6, God said, let light shine out of darkness and God shines in our hearts. This is almost certainly a quote from Genesis where God said to the darkness, let there be light, and there was light. And in salvation, in what theologians call regeneration, what Paul is showing by quoting Genesis is that in the gospel, God is doing a recreation. God says to the darkness of our own hearts, let there be light, and there's light a recreation miracle. How did God create the world? By his word. How does God create Christians? By his word. That's why we preach the Bible. God saves through his word. And notice, who is the primary actor in salvation? It's God. We preach, God saves Satan stops the light. God shines the light. This is a radically God-initiated picture of salvation. That, That for anyone to come to know the gospel, to truly know Jesus, God has to turn the light on, flip the switch. God has to do something. What freedom this brings to us. If God is the one who turns the lights on, I can be free from guilt over someone not believing the gospel. Paul's conscience was clear because his message was clear. He says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, I am innocent of your blood because I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We cannot make anyone Christians. Hallelujah. Parents, you cannot make your kids Christians. Grandparents, you cannot make your grandkids Christians. There is someone here who is experiencing guilt because their child is not walking with the Lord. You did everything right. You proclaimed the gospel. And you're taking guilt and blame for that. There's freedom for you tonight. We preach the gospel and trust in God to save. There's some grown children in this room whose parents are not walking with the Lord. And maybe you feel that deeply. Our encouragement from this passage is we preach the gospel and trust in God to save. There are coworkers and neighbors and other family members, maybe even best friends who don't know Jesus And you continue to share the gospel with them and over and over, what gives? The truth of our passage is that God saves people. That's his task. (laughs) We tell people that's our task. There is freedom for us in this phrase, God 
alone saves. If God is the one who turns the lights on, I also don't have to manipulate people to believe the gospel. I need to clearly shine and proclaim the truth of the gospel and prayerfully trust God to shine his light into their hearts. What is this light? The end of verse 6. You can see it there in your Bibles. It's the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, his death and resurrection for us, we come to know God's glory. God's glory is his goodness to save us. God's glory is his greatness to redeem us. God's glory is his infinite value and worth to be worshiped and followed with our whole lives. And when God gives us that understanding, that he is great and greatly to be praised and followed with the rest of our lives, we are saved. (laughs) We have faith. We repent. God turns the light on. Let there be light into our hearts of darkness. Church, this must shape our prayer lives. We as a church have committed to praying for at least one unbeliever in our lives. And when we pray for salvation, we are asking God to do what only he can do. Let there be light from darkness. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, God creating light. We should pray like that. Uh, We should pray in dependent faith for unbelievers in our lives, knowing that it's God, God's light alone that saves. And so what do we do? We clearly preach. We shine God's light. And that Paul is showing us is genuine gospel ministry. As we close tonight, I think it would be fitting if we could spend the next moment or so in private prayer. We all have people in our lives uh, who don't know the Lord Jesus. And we need to ask God to turn the light on. So as we close tonight, think of those in your life who don't know Jesus. And ask God, let your saving light shine in their hearts. Oh Lord, shine the light of your truth tonight. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and pray in these next moments for those in our lives who don't yet know you. And we do this now in the silence of our hearts. Father, we pray for each of these loved ones 
that you would shine your saving light into their hearts, that they might know your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.